1: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two excellent conversations. First off, San Jose Mercury News reporter John Wilner. He has been at the forefront of Pac-12 media rights uh, reporting. He is an expert on the Pac-12 and we discuss where the media rights situation sits at this moment or at least as we tape this, get into all the players who are interested in this product from ESPN to Apple, to Amazon, etc. And, um, and again, John has just been so good on this topic. He's really, really well sourced when it comes to these West Coast schools. And, uh, and you know, if you are a fan or interested in the Washingtons and the Oregon's and the Colorado's, etc., um, you will find what he has to say very, very interesting. He is followed by Sweeney Murdy. Those of you on the East Coast, that is a name you uh, certainly are familiar with. He worked at WFAN for 30 years. Just an absolutely incredible run in sports radio. 22 years as the New York Yankees reporter for that station. And he has now joined MLB Media as a senior contributor. And uh, Sweeney talks about his new job uh, after his long run in New York. How he feels about uh, the decision by WFAN management to... uh, Yeah, sort of, essentially, changed his uh, job and to um, and to not have him uh, be doing what he was doing for so many years. We get into a little bit on Derek Jeter joining Fox and what Sweeney's expectations of him are as a broadcaster. Obviously, Sweeney covered essentially most of Jeter's career, everything but five years, I think, if I have my uh, math right. And then just a little bit on the future of sports talk radio. Got somebody who's uh, uh, was part of one of the biggest stations in the United States for sports talk uh, for thirty years and has sort of seen a very changing environment when it comes to that. So John Wilner to start, Sweeney Murty to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very happy to have uh, this gentleman on who's just done a phenomenal job of covering um, what seems to be an endless story about Pac-12 media rights. San Jose Mercury News reporter John Wilner, one of the best in the country when it comes to this topic. He authors the Pac-12 hotline. Google that. Check it out. Uh, again, he's just been on top of everything at the Mercury News and is competing against a lot of people who are, uh, who are trying to get this story either for media reasons or college football reasons or uh, <laughs> realignment reasons. And I am pleased to be joined by John Wilner. John, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
2: Thanks a ton for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it.
1: You got it. All right, John, understanding that uh, we're taping this on March, the afternoon of March 3rd of March 3rd, and the world can change tomorrow in the world of media rights. But as, as we are taping and talking today, if you can give me like your best 10,000 foot estimation, where do things stand right now in terms of PAC 12 media negotiations?
2: I think they are pretty close to the end. My hunch is that they are, they have either gotten final bids from partners, or they are awaiting final bids. And you know they're trying to land three planes at once, essentially here, because they're they're trying to get the media deal done. They're also they've got to get the presidents to sign the grant of rights, and they have to make an ex- decision on expansion. They're all interrelated. They're all complicated, and they're all basically trying to land at the same time.
1: All right. So let's sort of do the media part here. Um, What you have reported and others have reported is interest from ESPN, from Amazon, from Apple. You have said in your reporting that there's a possible existence of a fourth entity. That's kind of interesting to me. I have not heard that. The one thing that I know from my reporting is that Amazon is certainly interested if the price is right, They have a certain conceptual interest in a Friday night game, which they could obviously and naturally promote the hell out of for their Thursday night football. And that that kind of product would be a really nice piece for them to add as they build their portfolio. Apple has, it would have its own reasons for this. And I think ESPN at the right price obviously has its own reasons for this. Um, What I'm curious from your perspective is do, do, Does the conference and or the conference presidents, do they see a difference between linear and streaming? Do you think they would just go for the most amount of money? Um, That's my long-winded way of asking you, what is most important, in your opinion, to the people who will make this decision?
2: You know, I think they want both. They want to try to thread the needle between getting as much money as they can, but also having, you know... uh, availability, visibility, right? And, and part of their whole uh, strategy is based on the last 10 years of people not being able to get the PAC-12 networks if you live in LA, for instance, right? And that has been such a source of frustration that part of, part of their strategy is they want their product, and I think Commissioner George Klikoff has said this, he wants his, the product available on any piece of glass connected to the internet, hmm. right? That is essentially the opposite of what the PAC 12 networks are. Uh, so that has really informed their strategy. Now the the trick of course is getting the visibility and getting the revenue. I, I think that the presidents understand it's very important to have uh, an anchor on ESPN for two reasons. One is just, you know, the, the, uh, the reach that cable has and, you know, for the games that are on ABC over the air, that's critical for your big games. You, if Oregon's playing Washington, you want that game on, you know, ESPN or ABC, obviously. Uh, but the the other piece is, you know, the, the ESPN studio hosts are much more likely to talk about Pac-12 football and ESPN and SportsCenter is more likely to show highlights if there's a contractual agreement between the two entities and Correct. if you're you know that's part of what my curiosity about the big tens deal exactly how much is espn going to promote and discuss the big 10 obviously you can't ignore ohio state and michigan but is there going to be any kind of decrease in the chatter on espn about the big 10 with there not being a, a media rights deal pac-12 has got to have some kind of package on ESPN. I think they know that I think seven 30, you know, Saturday night window makes a ton of sense. That's a, it's a good window for ESPN. They got nothing else. Uh, I think they want that. Uh, but we'll see what else is involved in that package.
1: It's interesting sure you say that I uh, Taylor Twelman was a guest on this podcast uh, last week, along with Marcelo Balboa and uh, Daniel Slate and talking about the MLS league pass and, I asked Twelman about that, like, you're not in a partnership with ESPN anymore. And, and how important that it is, is how, how important is it that um, they still talk about you and his argument, whether he's right or not, was that they're going to have to talk about us because if they're truly covering news um, and MLS is doing something, you have to put that on. I'm not sure I buy that, but it was an interesting sort of take from him. Let me then ask you something off what you just said. I happen to agree with you that. The Pac-12 would be smart to have some kind of linear partnership with ESPN. I think reach is vital for that conference, and I think they have to get it on there. That said, speaking of MLS, we just saw a leak, not nearly as uh, gets as many viewers, obviously, as Pac-12 football, but we just saw a league go behind a paywall in Apple in an all-encompassing deal where they got paid a ton of money to create this whole new digital product. From your reporting, John, do you have a sense of how the conference presidents would feel about the idea of going all in with an Amazon or Apple, where they just put everything behind one of these digital players' paywall in exchange for a boatload of money? I think
2: there would be some hesitancy
1: on that. Uh,
2: now, if are you assuming in that scenario – see, because I think one option is they could go all in with Amazon and or Apple. And, and then, then they subline so, to some, Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So – If we assume that there's no sub licensing, I think they'd probably be a little bit hesitant, you know, even unless it's for, uh, you know, an ungodly amount of money. And I don't know that that's available. You know, I'm kind of using the big 12s deal as a baseline. That's 31.7 million per school. I mean, if they could get in the forties, they might do it, but I don't think that that's available to that kind of money is necessarily available to them. I, I, suggested, God, it feels like eight years ago, but it was in September, that one option for the PAC-12 would be to go all in with Amazon, but not just for sports. Go all in for across the university uh, branches, like sell your food services to Amazon, sell all of your transportation, all of your uh, IT and cloud computing, everything to Amazon. And the, the athletic piece would just be part of it and basically, you're becoming the Amazon conference, Amazon Twelve conference, right? To me, that's the only way an all-in deal with Amazon would have made sense, uh, because the money and and you know the the services you'd be getting would would transform your conference, and you're basically walking into the future arm in arm with a company that rules the world, essentially. But I don't I don't sense that they're going to do that. Uh, so if it's just about a, a broadcasting deal that's all in. I, I think they'd be hesitant. I do think it's important though for for folks to understand, especially if you don't live on the West Coast, how ingrained in the economics and the culture of West Coast society, Amazon and Apple are. And right. it's important to know, you know the the pac dis- twelve their decision is going to be made by the presidents, the board of directors. That board has got a three-person executive committee that drives the agenda. It's presidents from Washington, Washington State, and Stanford. It works on a rotating basis. They weren't picked just for this this year. Washington's president, Anna Marie Kausai, is the chair of the board and runs the executive committee. Her office is 3.5 miles from Amazon's headquarters washington just last year announced the formation of a science hub with amazon they amazon gave them 10 million dollars a few years ago to start another project it's impossible to overstate how connected uh those entities are and washington is a very important driver in this pac-12 process
1: that's really interesting because in my experience of covering this stuff Like relationships really matter, like personal, personal relationships. It probably doesn't get reported enough. And that's not to say that a company is going to make a fiscally irresponsible decision, but like many times, like the person who gets placed in the position of PAC 12, um, president, you know, or big 10 president, like the decision is made because of the relationships they have with media entities because they ultimately know that the media entities are what um what drives this entire process is what what floats all this money so that's interesting to me and i think i would say i mean john you're in the middle of it in in california you know i'm based in toronto but i lived in new york most of my life and my sense is that those of us on the east coast probably were underestimating right how much in line or how close the The tech companies are, as you said, right, with these with these universities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Apple is certainly incredibly close, right, with Stanford and Stanford's president is on is on that executive committee as well. And, you know, I I totally agree with you about relationships. I don't know that, you know, that certainly doesn't mean they're going to make irresponsible decisions with 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 valuations. But it is an important piece of the, you know, of the process and something that the presidents are are considering, you know, very strongly and they're looking at it from the perspective of not what, you know, this media deal would start in the summer of 2024, right? They're looking at it from what is the what will media consumption be like not in 2024, but once the deal matures in the second half of the decade. You know, in 2027, 2028. How are we going to be consuming these these games? I mean, it certainly seems to me and, you know, way more about this than I do, but the trajectory certainly seems to be towards streaming, even if that means, you know, it's ESPN Plus or it's Paramount uh, or Peacock. That seems to be the direction. And they're trying to, you know, take their best guess on what uh, a streaming deal would be like, you know, in five or six years, not in 18 months.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the smart way to look at it. The um, I, two of my colleagues today, Stuart Mandel and Max Olson, had a you know yet again another piece on sort of where things stand with Pac-12, how that impacts Big Twelve realignment, et cetera. And one of the things that they reported really lines up with what you have. They put out a number here from the sports consulting firm Navigate that modeled the Pac-12's annual, like the average annual value of a potential media deal being at thirty-one million dollars per school that um, obviously is going to be very much less than the big 10 and the sec. You in your last column uh, sort of had this range of a deal, 28.5 million per school annually on the low end, 34.9 million annually on the high end. And then you put your target number at 29.7 million. So that's interesting to me that we got multiple publications that have a number that's fairly close the only thing that i was told by like an industry source i trust but this is not somebody in the room was that this person thought it would be high mid-20s uh for the deal so that's not far off even what you have and not far off from what the athletic has it does seem john and again none of us are in the room but we have at least sense a sense of like maybe what this deal ultimately is gonna potentially pay the this this conference
2: i think so and and a couple million dollar difference isn't going to, I don't think, be the reason that Pac-12 schools jump to the Big 12, right? I mean, you're gonna, if you're in the Big 12, you got, that, you got a extra c- travel cost as it is, right? You move conferences for transformative money. That's what USC and UCLA are doing. Um, right. And it's not going to be transformative either way between the, the Pac-12 and, and the Big 12. That's why the visibility piece is very key. You know, the Big 12 has got their deal with with Fox and ESPN. I'm assuming that a lot of the ESPN stuff is going to be on on ESPN plus, but they still are going to have, you know, access to the over the air networks and the cables. So, you know, how much will the Pac-12 get uh, on the visibility compared to the Big 12? I think that's going to be something that that matters to to the Pac-12 presidents for sure. But I've thought all along that these two conferences were very similar, right The Pac, the Big 12 replaced Texas and Oklahoma with, and they did a good job, I think, with those four schools Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and UCF. But I also think Texas and Oklahoma were worth more to the Big 12 than USC and UCLA are to the Pac 12. Uh, And so you end up factoring all those things in, and the Big 12's got better basketball brand. And they're they're equal. Whether they were going to be equal at a higher valuation or at a lower valuation, they're basically equal. And so I think it's up to the Pac-12 to cut a deal that is close in terms of money and provides the visibility the schools
1: want. Let me. So obviously we're talking about college football here, and college football drives all this stuff. What's interesting to me about the Pac-12 is that they have so many other sports where the conference is phenomenal i mean stanford's what's stanford's slogan it's like is it school of champions uh or I, the pac-12 is slogan yep. is the conference yep. of champions is yeah they do that? okay especially right.
2: Walton. he uses so, every what, 10 seconds
1: <laughs> that's right all right so within that stanford is just an incredible school in that they're like they're great in track they're you know they're great in field hockey they're great in this um it's a very good basketball conference and as someone who covered women's basketball for a long time in Sports Illustrated, I am long familiar with Stanford, Cal, uh, you know, USC has had its moments where they've been in a fantastic women's basketball program, UCLA, et cetera, or obviously Oregon, These Sabrina Ionescu days have been phenomenal. So there's a lot of value to me, John, in some of these other sports, though nobody talks about it because everybody, of course, is talking about college football. Have you spoken to any... Like real significant players when it comes to men's and let's just take men's and women's college basketball, for instance, and like how they feel about all this stuff when it comes to uh, where their media rights future may be in terms of where people can watch. Well, I
2: think that th- the Pac-12 feels like there's some value, you know, it's, it's uh fractional, the football value, but there is value in the Olympic sports in general and in, in men's and women's basketball specifically, um, And that is an interesting piece of some kind of deal with Apple, right? If Apple is looking for tonnage, uh, you know, whether it's for a Pac-12 app or some kind of sports app, you know, the Pac-12 Olympic sports, uh, you know, would have some would have some validity and some some value. And the conference is starting last year. They started a baseball tournament. And I think it's this year they're starting a softball tournament. And that's exactly why, because they think that those uh, those packages have got value for streamers. And they've also Mm -hmm. got the Pac-12 networks infrastructure that can do all of the the production work for a streamer the way, you know, what MLS is doing. The Apple uh, MLS is doing the the Apple production. Pac-12 networks can do the production for Apple. For for all those events, they've got they're setting up a production facility in the East Bay, forty thousand square feet, and uh, I they are hoping that those those of those sports
1: have some value. So you have written this, and it seems pretty self evident. So the Pac-12 networks, as we know it today, uh, one year f- one year from now, or the summer of twenty twenty four. They have contracts coming up, so basically, your thought, maybe it seems like conventional wisdom's thought, is that the Pac-12 networks will be no more when that when that comes up.
2: Okay. Yeah, right. There's not gonna. It's not gonna be a media company that's got distribution agreements on, you know, with uh, across cable that kind of thing. That's gonna. I believe that's gonna cease to exist. I think they are gonna. They are taking all the technology and the staff, and they are cre- creating a production studio, and they will be able to stream stuff directly you know, whether it's behind the scenes video of the athletes or even events, they'll be able to stream it directly. They'll be able to uh, produce it for an, uh, another entity, Apple or Amazon. But they that's what they're hoping to do. The, the networks themselves are going to be, uh, I think, as of July 1st, 2024. I don't think they will exist.
1: All right. So how do you, you know, it seems like, <laughs> you know, every day that goes by there's like another report about something and um, today I believe actually it was my employer who maybe reported this that um, the the big 12 was in contact with the, uh, the the as they called it the four corner schools Arizona Arizona State, Colorado and Utah um, you know you you've lived this world it feels like forever and we always sort of you know, We're always trying to figure out sort of who's contacting who, what are the seriousness about a school potentially leaving or not. As someone who's a real Pac-12 expert, for my listeners who would be all over the U.S. as well as in Canada, like, is there a certain school that they should really be paying attention to or schools that they should be paying attention to in the Pac-12 that if you start hearing enough smoke, it really like changes the possibility for realignment, et cetera? You know,
2: I've always thought Arizona is the most natural fit. Like, if you were to say, and I actually kind of played this out in my head, let's say the Pac-12 never existed, and you were going to slot schools in the other conferences that do exist, like, you know, Stanford fits in the ACC. It's the importance of football and basketball. But, you know, Arizona, in a lot of ways, fits in the Big 12, right? Geographically, it's what, four hours to El Paso. Um, and, And because of the emphasis on basketball. So, uh, you know, I've that, and there's been certainly more, you know, rumbling, smoke, whatever you want to call it, about Arizona's interest in moving to the, the Big 12. I don't think we've we haven't heard one word about that from their president or their athletic director. But certainly the fans are kind of clamoring to get in there because they're a basketball school and the Big 12's got great basketball. And the Pac-12 without UCLA doesn't have, you know, another tentpole program. So that's the one that has always you know, seemed like if this is going to rupture, that would be where it started and end. Maybe ended. I don't know. I've always thought the, the Big Twelve would would need to take four or zero, but maybe that's not. Maybe that's not true. L- let me ask you a question, if you don't mind, Richard. Yep. What did you think of that report on CNBC about ESPN basically becoming a clearinghouse for all streaming sports?
1: Ah. ESPN. Always find trying to find ways, John, to uh, to make money, perhaps off other people's properties. I, yep. I think, I think, um, I think, undoubtedly, there's a real issue when it comes to consumers in terms of uh, like like a good database or listing or you know or internet TV guide, so to speak, as to what is on each of the different streaming platforms and the when. So I think conceptually or philosophically, there's a demand for that product. Um, you know, streaming has gotten essentially way too expensive. I feel like for the average fan, if you want everything and in many times you don't know exactly where, where and when something is on. So to me, the question, like, it's a conceptually interesting idea. The question would be, uh, how much are other places willing to pay ESPN for the, uh, you know, the tip or how, you know, or or however you want to sort of frame it or the, the service of being the warehouse where if you click on the ESPN link, it takes you to Amazon or takes you to apple um these companies work together sometimes fox and espn obviously has had a lot has had partnerships in college football etc i would just be curious as to you know like how much they'll work with each other on this one but i think if you're espn it's a great philosophical idea because in some ways it makes you doesn't in some ways sort of uh put out to the market that you're the dominant sports brand and that you got to come to this Entity, even if you're clicking on things that take you to another sports brand, right? In some ways, it's genius because it it's a re, it's a free branding thing for them to let people know who the most important place in town is. Oh, I, I think
2: it is fascinating. It's almost like they want to become Amazon in some ways. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, it's some, like Prime. There, that's this is their Prime Prime yes. Prime Video yeah. shopping, right? So,
2: I mean, yeah. and who knows what'll happen? But like, I was thinking about that when I saw the article. Uh, or the report yesterday, you know, if you're the Pac-12 and you see that and you're thinking, well, maybe we could go all in with Apple, but people could just watch it on ESPN.com. You consider that maybe they do. I don't don't know. It's obviously in the very formative stages, but the fact that it's out there, uh, I can't believe that that's the first, put it this way. I can't believe that's the first the
1: Pac-12 had heard about it. If you had to if you had to take a guess today, do you think the, the pac 12 I think you sort of wrote this so, but I'll just ask it. you think they would like to stay with two partners like a like a quote unquote linear partner and a digital partner as opposed to parceling out, which we've certainly seen other sports do uh you know, linear here, digital here, digital here, and you know maybe some fourth partner here do do, do you has your reporting suggested? in terms of how many actually partners they would want and do they want no women?
2: i haven't been able to pin that down i know they want at least two um they want espn and they want a streamer maybe they get two streamers i but that would be unprecedented right i don't know how apple and yes. amazon
1: I, yeah i don't think that'll that would i don't i don't think either of those two companies would sign off on that yeah my,
2: so then you're then is it you know, uh, a package on Friday night with Amazon and then a package on ESPN and everything else is on ESPN plus uh, or are they go on all in question. with uh, with Apple instead. I don't know. But that's that seems uh, that would be unprecedented. I can, Yeah, I agree with you. I can't imagine Amazon and Apple would agree to that, but they do want to mix. They definitely want to mix.
1: Which makes sense. You One, it brings you more money, and two, it's also just smart as a long-term play because you have a relationship with yep. both those companies, which to me is how you want to do it.
0: Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, Interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So, lastly, this is again this is from my
1: perspective of uh, of watching uh, sports from as an East Coast uh, person. Like I've always thought, like I, I'm, I where other people were down on the Pac-12, I wasn't as down on the Pac-12 because. I see like a school like Washington as really a potential hidden power. It's in a beautiful city. Um, it, his, it has history and a lot of history of success in football. It's also been, at times, an excellent basketball school. It should be a place where kids want to go because it seems like such a great place to go to school. Colorado feels the same way. Anybody who's ever visited Boulder, it's beautiful. I mean, it really seems like it'd be an awesome place to just be a be a young person and then Oregon again has like Nike money great place to go and and has a lot appealing to it have you as someone who sort of covered this I guess I'll just use like one school as my example for the moment but why hasn't Washington been a bigger power in in all sports more frequently because that's a school to me that feels like it checks every single box that one would think a box needs to be checked to be successful
2: yeah, no, it does. And and certainly having Microsoft and Amazon in your backyard, helps in a lot of respects, right?
1: Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yep. Yep.
2: You know, and Washington has had a lot of football success over the years. They won the national championship in the nineties and they were in the playoff in 2016. Right. Um, and they yeah, were, good point. you know, they finished like 10th this year. I mean, I think Washington is on the second tier of football brands. You know, it's not up there with with ohio state michigan notre dame usc and those but it's a second tier for sure um there were a lot the geography does i think affect them a little bit that it is far i mean it's a seattle is a long way from a lot of places and so for the sports that really require a lot of kind of homegrown talent i think that that's a little bit of an issue but they, they certainly have been successful in some of those olympic sports they're terrific uh, but they they could be you know I, and this is one reason why they're considered a candidate to eventually end up in the in the Big Ten. They are uh, a valuable property. There are basically five schools out there that are not in the SEC or the Big Ten that carry above average football valuations: Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Washington. Like those are the five premium properties. Still left. And we, it doesn't seem like Notre Dame's going anywhere anytime soon. You've probably read that Clemson and Florida State are not happy with the ACC's revenue situation, and Washington and Oregon are considered candidates to end up in the big Ten eventually. So we can still see another you know rupture, and those five schools are going to be the first ones in the, you know, in line for for offers from the other conferences.
1: Yeah, you make a and you know what you made a great point in that the fact is like you know if you're some awesome like uh talent in Florida or North Carolina or something like that it, it is a long way away yep. from home to go to uh to go to Washington. So that's uh that's a fair point. Uh John Wilner is a San Jose Mercury News reporter. He is the author of The pac 12 Hotline uh which is an absolute must read if you are interested. In Pac-12 sports, and certainly if you're interested in this topic, uh, he's been absolutely one of the go-to people who are covering this. John, I, I really admire your work. You've, you've really done a great job on this. Um, you know, just the amount of copy that you have churned out. Um, clearly, not being paid by the word, John, because if you were, you would be at the muscle level <laughs> <Yes. laughs> of finance. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, I appreciate it as a reader. All the same, and uh, and thanks for giving me a little bit of time today on the Sports Media Podcast.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a ton, Richard. It was great. Uh, fabulous discussion. Thank you.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast.
1: All right, as I said at the top, I'm excited to have Sweeney Murdy on this podcast. He is somebody, when I lived in New York, I obviously heard what felt like on a daily basis, particularly those of us who listen to WFAN. He was a very, very familiar voice. And he has now left WFAN, and starting on Monday, the day you can listen to this podcast to start, he'll be a senior contributor for MLB Media. He will tell us about this new job. And again, for those of you nationally who are not based in New York, who don't know Sweeney's background, he worked for 30 years at WFAN, which is a significant sports talk station in New York City. And among those 30 years, he covered the New York Yankees for 22 years as a reporter. So somebody who was in the Yankees dugout, Yankees facilities, Yankees everything for multiple decades. And we'll get into that on this podcast. And I'm pleased to be joined by Sweeney Murdy. Sweeney, to start with, congratulations. You are uh, maybe the first guest on this podcast Whose uh, job starts literally the day the podcast comes out so congratulations
0: <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a whole new thing. listen when I the last time I started a new job, podcasts weren't even a thing so um, it's uh, it's an exciting time for me and I appreciate you letting me uh, talk to you about it.
1: Yeah got but when both of us started our uh, our jobs, I believe we came on horseback for this job, so you're correct.
0: Yeah it was Morse code I think was there <laughs> right. method of communication all
1: right. So let's start here. Um, senior contributor, MLB Media. Uh, what does that mean, and how did the job come about?
0: Um, I'm going to be starting. Uh, I'm, it's partially a managerial role in MLB's social media department with their editorial team, uh, kind of helping shape what goes out on the MLB platforms. You know, you can follow at MLB on on all your platforms, and what we send out. I have a hand in, in shaping that and overseeing that along with another, uh, the group of people that's already there. Um, you know, they're, you know, looking to take advantage of my journalistic background, my baseball background uh, that you, that you ran down. Uh, so that's a major part of the job. The other part of the job that kind of has, it's a little open-ended um, it's, which is exciting because we kind of can kind of grow this. However, we kind of see Um the I'm going to work with the content group over there to kind of help uh, create some new podcasts and video projects and, and develop those as we go. We've got a couple of ideas that we've kind of kicked around uh, because I hadn't officially started yet. We haven't really uh, dived too deep into that, but we're you know, uh, I'm excited to just kind of see where this goes. Um, I worked for a traditional radio station for a very long period of time. And my job and what we put on the radio was, was very, very distinct and, and, and always kind of in a, in a straight line. And this kind of has some room for creativity here. And, you know, as we all, I I've heard this, I heard this a lot over the course of, you know, talking to different people about jobs, uh, recently, you know, we all want to be storytellers, right? That's the magic phrase. We all want to tell stories and there, there, there's not always a great outlet for that or a great avenue to to get there but this seems like a really good opportunity to to combine a couple of things here and stay in the baseball landscape um which i've made my living for you know the last 22 years and um it's exciting to kind of get in with the league and and see everything they have to offer
1: so you've spent the last two plus decades as a like an on-air person And so you have a lot of experience, obviously, whether it was doing live radio reports and in someone in your position, you're obviously going to do a lot of other radio hits around the country or do some, you know, television work, just basically people checking in with you on the Yankees. So if I'm understanding you correctly, that that will still be a part of this job. But in addition to that, there's sort of more editorial or editing or behind the scenes kind of stuff. So that seems like a pretty exciting job if you can keep your hand in. The um, front facing kind of position, but at the same time, shape larger projects as a manager, right?
0: Yeah. And I I can't tell you like I'm going to be out front and center as often as I was before, because I don't know exactly like how often we're going to drop these shows or, or how often they're coming about and how many different kinds we're doing. Um, a lot of it's going to be every day during the baseball season here, you know, you're, you're watching a bank of games and saying, Ooh, there's something cool. Let's do this. Let's do that. And kind of shaping, uh, it was described to me, like, kind of like as a managing editor would at, you know, whether it's a TV station or a newspaper and you're kind of, um, you know, kind of making things move. Um, the team of people I work with is, you know, that's kind of how we're going to operate on the social media side. Um, the kind of the it was hard for me to explain to my parents, for example, who are you know not podcast people, uh, what I was going to be doing. You know, my dad l- listened to the radio forever and ever, he still wakes up in the middle of the night, turns on the radio. And when I was working overnights on WFAN, he could hear me give him scores, which is always kind of cool. Um, but trying to explain to him a little bit more of uh, the 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 new world stuff uh was a little bit harder and it's a little bit harder even for somebody like you Richard who you know I know has a handle on it but trying to describe because I haven't done it yet and you know there's it's exciting because there's not a specific roadmap to this. We can kind of make it what we want. And uh, I know that, you know, the people I've talked to over there, some whom I've worked with already on different things, uh, really excited to kind of dive into stuff and have the MLB brand behind it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, my name and experience uh, can can lend something to it. And we, I mean, you know, th- there's some good possibilities here.
1: You know, the... the sort of a weird kind of thing um, and you experienced it when someone ends up leaving a job either by their own choice or the choice of others and someone who is well liked in the business you start to see a lot of well wishes on social media and other places I, I don't want to make it cliche like this because it's not this but you know in some ways you're you're watching your own funeral at times it's exactly
0: how I phrased it yeah
1: yeah, you know, or prof- or professional oh, funeral summer. because obviously funeral is a uh, is different. At the same time obviously you're now you have another job, you're in a good place. So I want to ask you just a couple questions about that um that whole experience. For for people who heard you for so many years on WFAN, oftentimes multiple times daily, what changed in your opinion? What what changed from what you had been doing? to what ultimately it seems like management ultimately wanted heading forward.
0: I I think what changed was the, just the way we listened to the radio and the way we gathered our information. Um, it used to listen. I, my first year was 2001 covering the Yankees. And when a piece of, uh, an important piece of Yankees information, um, was made available to me or a story broke or something happened like that. My first job was to pick up the telephone and call into the radio station and say, put me on the air. I've got this. And I'd go on with, you know, whoever was on Mike and the mad dog, anybody else and give them the news. And it could be something as simple as, Hey, the Yankees just announced that this player has an injury. and He's going to be out for two months. Right. Um, Well, now you get that stuff. uh, Well, let me backtrack. At that time in 2001 all the other reporters were basically newspaper reporters and their product came out once a day. Certainly websites were around and they were struck, they, they were being more 24 hours but the I guess the desire from the companies to update them instantaneously were not always there. They were still pushing to put the once a day newspaper out as their main product. Um so I was, that's who I was competing with or working alongside now because of Twitter uh, and it's been over a decade now, we all have the same ability to put all this information out instantaneously, not just to our employers, but to the fans who want the information. So if, if we're, if they're having a huge discussion today about, you know, the, the quarterback situation with the jets and they don't want to break into it for, you know, an injury situ- issue that happened in spring training. They don't have to. It's all out on Twitter. It'll be out on our website. The station's um, uh, social accounts can pick it up and, po- and put it out, too. And they can mention it. But like what's driving the show that day is the Jets, the Giants or the, or, or some other topic. Uh, you don't have to break away from it. Um, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, Richard, you know, we. we we didn't have multiple pages on our sports section as, as often it was kind of like one or two main topics. Uh, and I think just the, the way that that information, it, it, it probably became less cost effective to, you know, to send me all over the country to cover games when this information wasn't, you were able to get it uh, in other forms of fashion. Listen, I still remember when I used to have to call Mike Francesa to give him the Yankees lineup every day. Now the Yankees themselves are the first ones who post that on Twitter. Everybody does that. So those are those are the, I think just the technology changed and we are trying to find different ways to to keep it relevant and matter. And, you know, whether it's having podcasts or trying to find different audiences for different things. Um, I think, I think we were all trying to do that. Um, it's just, you know, I don't think there was an easy answer to it.
1: So, but it, uh, the one thing I would say is it's not like 2023 is per se different than 2022 or 2021, everything you, you just described sure. has existed. Mm-hmm. So did, w- did WFA and management just make a decision that we're going to go with less kinds of reporting that you did and more we're, we're going to focus if, if, if something comes up, we'll have our personalities talk about it as opposed to bringing in someone who is at the field or something to that effect.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it was, if it was, I, I don't know if it was articulated to me as that specific a decision, but I think um, if you've seen some, some of the, you know, some people wrote some really nice things about my departure in some of the local articles, uh, newspapers. And a lot of them had mentioned about the, the changing business um, in, in radio. So I, I think that, all has a lot baked into it. Um, But, um, you know, I I think I could probably see, I I, I hadn't traveled as much for the last few years. Uh, And, and that's certainly, listen, it helped home life, and it helped from a personal standpoint. But you also understand that it's, it's not as easy to do your job uh, when you're not on site as often. And, you know, I was able to lean on my experience and some of my context that I've gathered in a couple of decades to help me contextualize and figure things out as I'm reporting them. But the actual boots on the ground reporting um suffered, you know, for um for those reasons.
1: Yeah, that's well said. Uh a couple more here and then we'll move on. The um, do they offer you any kind of alternative where like uh we want you to stay in, in a reduced capacity, or we want you to stay and do this. And for you, it just wasn't going to be worth it, whether financially, emotionally. Yeah, uh,
0: without getting into specifics, all of that is true. There were uh, there were a lot of those things where um, you know I I think they had some ideas to try to make this work. I had some ideas to try to make it work, and it it just didn't. Um, and I was you know. I, I, I didn't know what was going to be out there for me. Um, it's you know, frankly, I think everybody in America understands it's not a great time to go looking for jobs and in in, in many industries and hours and included. Um, but I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to to get the word out to some people um and talk to some people about some different things. And I I did have uh, another opportunity that uh, that was also very um very exciting that I I could have. Uh, taken. Uh, this one just had a few more, you know, boxes checked. And um, it's, um, it's something that I wanted to pursue. And, uh, it, you know, listen, I didn't know, I could have been sitting here for a year, Richard, and, and trying to figure out what to do, and uh, trying to find some freelance stuff and this and that. But this came up pretty quickly, surprisingly. And, um, you know, and, and it, it, it just made sense to take it, it was too good an opportunity to pass up.
1: Last one on this, um, the uh, the answer to this question really has to do with how people, um, approach it. There would be those who, if they're laid off or left the job, might not be happy with their, uh, employer, regardless of what had happened. There are others who sort of focus on like, I can't control what my employer does. I can only control what I do next. And I can sort of separate these two things, um, and, and, and do my best to sort of move forward and look back at the times, I guess, on the previous job fondly that I enjoyed. So I've always, you know, I don't know you that well personally, but I've always known you to be pretty, um, you seem to always be an even keel person and sort of approach things that way. How do you, how, like, are you, do you leave FAN fondly? Do you, are, does the end sort of make your stay a little less fond? How do you, how do you look at this place you worked at for thirty years, which in itself is an incredible run, that most people who are born, you know, uh, older than us, Sweeney, will never have. The, n- people don't work jobs at one place that long. So
0: how how do you look um, at it right now? In the immediate aftermath, it was it was very emotional for me. Uh, it really was. Uh, I mean, this was like. As much as you know, in my in in, in present day and later years of doing this job, I could identify with, you know, having a family, a wife and kids. But I was single and young when I started this job. It was my identity, right? I didn't, you know, when I first started, you're not making a whole lot of money on doing anything on weekends. I'm waiting for the day I can go back to work again because that's what I have to do in front of me. And um we were such a big part of New York media, still, you know, and still is, but at the time, just You know, felt like such a huge part of New York media sports landscape that I just loved being a part of it. I loved being a part of that team. Uh, I walked in the door when I was 20 as an intern, changed my life. I walked back in the door at 22. To have, take a full-time job and it lasted you know, almost exactly 30 years. You know, March eighth, nineteen ninety-three was the day I walked in to the door uh, as a full-time employee. And I came, you know, wow. dangerously close to, to you know to the 30th anniversary of it. Um so it was such a huge part of me, Richard. It was my, it was, it was what I identified as for a very long time. And then, you know, listen, you get older, um, different priorities, again, got married, had kids and, you know, I, I, I have another identity that I can feel. Um, so it was emotional to leave that behind. I I can tell you that getting the internship at WFAN and understanding that I could, I could work in that environment, and that I wanted to work in that over. I'm from a small town of Pennsylvania, you know, like I'm uh, it's one of the great joys I take in having, you know, not only worked here, but working as long as I did here, is that you know most of the people who work here are from New York, you know, they grew up in New York and they're from this or from other big cities, you know, like Ed Coleman and Susan Waldman are both from from Boston, Steve Summer from San Francisco. Yeah, Boston, yeah. Um, you know, I'm from I'm from Middletown, Pennsylvania, Richard. Um, we're known for the Three Mile Island nuclear accident and not much else. Um You know, in a lot of ways, and listen, please, I hope people understand what I mean when I say this, because I'm not comparing myself and putting my name in this breath. But, you know, we all, you know, if you're a sports fan and a Yankees fan, you know the story of Derek Jeter as a kid in Kalamazoo, Michigan, who wanted to be shortstop for the Yankees, and he became shortstop for the Yankees. You know, he kind of made it in New York. Well, you know, kids from Middletown, Pennsylvania, don't go on to become, you know, uh, work at a radio station in New York City for 30 years. I got to do that. And um, none of this, nothing in my life would be the same if I didn't have that opportunity. So while I ended up being quite emotional, and whether it was frustration, sadness, anger, all rolled into one at various points of you know the end coming, I know that I'm where I am now because of all it. And the next job that I got is because of what I did there and what the impact I was able to make doing that job where... Uh, people noticed and were willing to hire me for the next job. You know, um, so I, 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 I understand what you're saying. And I have all of those things wrapped up into one. But I'm not here at all doing any of this if I didn't get to walk in that door and be the kid from a small town who, you know, who got to uh, get to New York City and figured out that he could actually work here.
1: You mentioned Jeter, and I did want to ask you, um, you saw that obviously he has uh, signed with Fox to be a studio analyst on um, uh, what will probably be their uh, main events as opposed to like on a week-to-week kind of basis. What's your expectation of Jeter as a broadcaster?
0: I I find it hard to... I I don't think he's ever going to walk into controversy, but I think if you watched any of... Now, he had some creative control over it, obviously, but if you saw the captain you know, you saw that, he, you know, he has opinions and he wasn't afraid to give them in that forum. And it was uh, most of it was about him and the people around him. So I'm a little curious how it's going to be dealing with, you know, other teams. He never wanted to walk into that. He never wanted to walk into controversy with that um, and and was very astute at avoiding that. So, um, but, but he, listen, he's, he's a smart guy. He knows a lot about the game of baseball from both the playing side and the business side of it because he lived that for the last few years so i think he knows you know i th- I think one of the things that again this is going to sound weird because i'm drawing myself into this but one of the things that i always seem to want to convey to people was make you think about something that it that maybe you you're not thinking about or understand about the actual story if if you think this guy stinks uh, or if you think this guy's great I'm going to give you maybe three other things to think about and say okay let's 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 bring it back down to a medium because you know you don't want to go here you don't want to go there let's just try to bring back here and here's three pieces of information that will will fill in the picture for you a little bit. I have a feeling he might be kind of like that where you know I don't I don't think he's going to be over the top like you know like David Ortiz is this you know big gregarious personality. I don't think he's going to be that. Um you know uh I, I think he's he's smart enough to understand what his job is there. Uh, but he's also smart enough to know that like he he's not gonna walk himself into trouble in controversial times either.
1: Uh two more for you before we let you go. Uh the you you were fortunate enough to cover like one of the iconic sports franchises in the world. You know, the someone who covers Manchester United, someone who covers the Dallas Cowboys, you covered the New York Yankees. There's always been this um perception whether it's correct or not that new york's a tough media town and that the yankees beat is ultra competitive and really tough you actually were inside that bubble for 20 something years you competed against these other people um how challenging if indeed challenging is the right word would you say that beat was to cover
0: i I think it's challenging because you're never off it um you know there's you know people always ask me like when do you like You know, I I talk to different groups of people or students or whatever, and ask about the job. You know, one of the questions is like, "What are your hours?" Well, my hours like I start working when I wake up and I stop working when I go to sleep. You know, it's (laughs) right there. There's especially because you know, like the off seasons. And the off times are more challenging than the games. You know, like there's a schedule for that. They tell me what time the game starts. You know, I I know what the, and it's right played right in front of me. You know, who they're gonna sign, who they're gonna trade, that stuff happens off the books, and they try their best to hide it. And you're 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 working at odd hours and weird hours, and you never know when things are gonna happen. You know, I've had I've had things happen when you're out out with friends and you're out trying to have a good time at dinner and all of a sudden something happens. I, I've told this story a few times, different places. I, I, I was the last person on earth to know the Yankees had traded for Chase Headley because I was putting my son down for a nap at one 30 in the afternoon. And I come back and my phone's gone and, you know, Twitter world. You know, I'm the last to know the Yankees be reporters, the last to know it's, you know, what are you supposed to do? Um, those things kind of happen. Um, it's, I I I didn't find it cutthroat. I mean, you know, we, the group of people that we traveled with, I got along with very well. And, you know, some of my lifelong friends, uh, close friends, people that traveled on the beat working for the other outlets. I think we were all friendly in our competition, understanding that when we did, we're fortunate enough to get something, you know, that, that the other person didn't have, we, you know, we did what we had to do for it. And Hey, it was, Hey, good job, pat on the back. And then, you know, the rest of us, you know, we, we got our ass kicked by that guy and we're going to try harder to, to do better next time, I guess. Um, so it's competitive in that regard. I just think Richard just doesn't shut off, you know, like people, people like there's not an off season And like NFL free agency happens in a week, right? NBA free agency happens in a week, you know, baseball free agency, there's still guys in the market, this season's gonna start in a couple of weeks, and there's still guys who are unsigned, you know, it just doesn't end. And like, I, I used to have this one conversation with one of my bosses about this, I said, you know, when they say like, you didn't really work much in whatever in December, so I'm like, yeah, but like, just because the Yankees didn't sign anybody, doesn't mean they couldn't have, like there's stuff happening that you kind of have to keep track of. And every day they, every day that goes by is like a day they could have signed somebody and didn't. And like, you're there, There's not a, you know, there's not a clock for it. Um. So like, that's just a weird way of telling you that, you know, you, you live the stress of that pretty much every day because you know, it can happen anytime. And because it's the Yankees, nothing is off limits. No players off limits. No, there's, you know, like, you know, Uh, the the Pittsburgh Pirates are not in play for, you know, every major free agent. Um, There are clearly things that are off limits for, for teams like that. Um, I, you know, when, when Aaron Boone tore up his knee and the Yankees needed a third baseman uh, all of a sudden, like a a month later, they got the MVP of the league. Alex Rodriguez is walking in and he's going to play third base now. He's a shortstop. It's like, well, After I saw that, anything short of Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig walking into the clubhouse was possible. So you always had to be on. There was there was, you know, they were always going to trade for somebody. They're always going to market for somebody. And if they weren't, I was never going to believe that person wasn't going to sign with the Yankees until I saw him holding up a jersey and a cap of some other team at a podium. So. Um, you're just kind of always on and I've had plenty of family events, you know, and, that were ruined because I had to sneak away and make phone calls, uh, or you just kind of had to, you know, uh, get on and do something else. Um, it's after a while you get used to it, but it's, there's, there's just this little pressure cooker part of it that, you know, you kind of have to deal with if you want to do the job.
1: Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's an interesting answer. I appreciate that. Last one for me, you, um. You, you are the rare person who has seen um, multiple generations of a major sports talk station, perhaps the most famous sports talk station in the United States. So you really have good insight here. You're smart enough to know and see that a lot of the world of audio is now on demand and that people have opted for podcasting over live radio listening. There are even some radio stations who essentially program their lineup for more of an on-demand play. As opposed to uh, live listening. The thing about sports talk, though, is it's a different conversation in New York and Philly and Boston than it would be, let's say, in I'm just making this up, Jacksonville, Florida or something like that. So from your perspective, Sweeney, if I if I asked you if, if WFN will exist 30, 50 years from now, like. Does, does something like that still exist as like a live play? I have no doubt that as an on-demand play, it'll be around. But the real question is going to be to me, if I'm a New Yorker, I'm in my car at one o'clock, let's assume cars still exist, you know, 30 years from now, like, is there somebody live on at one o'clock talking to me about sports or does that go away? How do you see it?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, listen, I'm not smart enough to see the future. I um uh and sometimes I wish I was. I told the story just yesterday, a group of students. I said, you know, I remember, you know, late 90s, mid-late 90s, I had colleagues who were leaving FAN to go to um, they were gonna go do this talk show, and it was gonna be on the internet. I'm going, so so wait a second, like I have to be sitting in front of my computer to listen to your show. Why why would I want to do that? I I couldn't see the phone, iPhone in the future, right? I, I didn't see, it, and somebody obviously did. Um, and, and now you can just, like you're, what you're talking about is possible. Um, so I don't know that, but I, I think the, the one thing about sports has always been this, you know, we, we lost, you know, part of it started with the DVR revolution. Um, and then, you know, to Netflix and on demand kind of stuff, um, we lost the ability to watch things communally, right? Like, you know, how many millions of people watched the last episode of MASH or the last episode of Seinfeld? We all watched it together, right? And there's something about going into school the next day and talking about what you watched together last night, or, you know, whether you're going to work at the office and saying, hey, did you see this last night? Well, now there's so many people who you know, know I'm, I'm going to watch three or four of them at once because, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got them you know stacked up, and i'm gonna I'm gonna watch it when I go on vacation next week. I'm gonna watch the whole season one of Ozark and all that whatever. you know you lose that communal thing, but sports is still live every night, okay? That's the one thing. and I think you see it on social media. you see the instant reactions, everything. We're all still kind of watching that live. um and as long as that doesn't change, I think wanting to get the reactions to it are still there. Uh, Maybe it's not the same as, you know, waiting till one o'clock in the afternoon, like you used to, you want you wanted to hear what Mike and Chris had to say at one o'clock off of the, the game that ended at 10 o'clock the night before. Maybe that's a little too long. Maybe you're not waiting quite that long. Maybe you've, you've gotten everybody's opinions or heard everything uh, by that time or the other shows earlier in the day or whatever. But I I still think as long as, and, Listen, TV networks still believe in live sports. They're they're paying more and more money all the time to keep it as a property, right? So they still believe. I think that that's still the one great communal event that we all have to experience together. And as long as that's still a case, talking about it right after is still a thing too. Um, Even if it's in lesser numbers or a different kind of form, I can't see it going away completely. Can you?
1: I cannot. uh, But my caveat is major cities. As opposed to smaller markets, but I think in sports-obsessed cities, I if, I, if you were going to ask me 30 years from now, is there still a live sports radio component? I would say yes. I don't know if I'd say it's twenty-four-seven, but I would say yes. Sweeney Murdy is a senior contributor for MLB Media. He just discussed on this podcast his new job, which starts March six. Very exciting, um, and you'll see him um, involved in a number of of roles, which will uh, ultimately take shape. I imagine if I talk to Sweeney three months from now, he'll have a very, very different kind of answer for what his job is than his answer today. He, of course, had a 30-year run, which is absolutely incredible, at WFAN in New York, which included 22 years as a reporter for the New York Yankees. Sweeney, it was great to see you land um, at a job so quickly, and uh, I certainly took note of the fact that there were just so many people within the sports media world who were really happy Uh, to sort of see that news. They were not happy, obviously, that you left FAM. We're really happy to see that you landed somewhere. And that obviously speaks to your relationships with people. So uh, I wish you the best of luck with... uh with MLB Media. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Richard, thanks. Uh, you know, you're right. As you said earlier, I, I described it as my professional funeral, getting to watch it. And it was quite humbling and overwhelming. And I don't think i found quite, quite the right words to describe it. But for everybody who reached out, yourself included, um, you know, thank you. I saw them all, even if I didn't was able to respond to it. Uh, touched me deeply. I was in, in your homes for a long time or in your cars or on the beach, wherever you were listening to us talk about the Yankees, I was there with you, and I and I appreciate that you felt that. Um, I hope you come follow along and uh, follow MLB and all your socials and all the great things that we're going to be doing uh, over there along the way. Um, it really, it really touched me as, as emotional as it was to leave that job. It touched me to hear so many from you know strangers, listeners, colleagues, everybody. Um, just you know, it was it was not easy to sit and read all those things and hear all those things. It's, you know, you're just not used to it. Um, but it meant a great deal to me and to everybody. Just thank you.
1: Thank you. Sweeney. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to John and Sweeney for their time and their insight, uh, head to the archives page. Should be some stuff. You like the podcast we had before this round table on covering formula one with Luke Smith and Madeline Coleman of the athletic. That was really, really interesting. They, uh, They told us sort of the axis about that sport and how one goes about covering that. Had uh, Apple and Major League Soccer broadcasters Marcelo Balboa, Daniel Slayton, and Taylor Twelman on on February 23rd. And they discussed that uh, that new and revolutionary deal. and, And they were excellent. Before that, Deshaun Reed and Evan Drellich of The Athletic, two of my colleagues. Had Mike Joy and Larry McReynolds on from NASCAR, Jim Trotter, Adnan Virk. And Adam Amin, head back to the archives. Not too long ago, you'll see uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Again, if you like these conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how uh, this podcast uh, continues. I want to thank everybody at uh, Cadence 13 for their support. Of course, thanks, Patrick, to uh, for all his hard work. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.